Go ahead and find your seat. I saw this, uh, I think it was a meme. I don't know. I don't, I don't even, well, maybe it was a meme. It was, it was this graphic of this person's calendar. And it said, my Sunday. And it said, uh, like, the two hours before church. It was like preparing uh, for turning greet your neighbor. And then at 1030, it was like five minutes of turning and greeting your neighbor. And then the next three hours was recovering from turning and greeting your neighbor. <laughs> so if you're like an introvert, I totally get it. I just, uh, cracked me up. Um, hey, before we hop into uh, what we're going to talk about today, I have uh, something I want to let you guys know about. Uh, we have someone that's joining the team. He's joining the team uh, today. Uh, actually, he technically starts uh, tomorrow, I guess, uh, super part-time. But we're so stoked for him to join the team. Uh, David, if you want to stand up. Uh, he is amazing. So uh, his better half, Yerith, is next to him. This is David and Yerith and their little one, Shiloh. So uh, David is joining the team as our assistant worship leader. Uh, so he'll help create, cultivate the culture of uh, worship here. And uh, yeah, it was just awesome. So David, we're so glad uh, that you're a part of the team. And we'll, let's see what God does. So one more time, can we give David a huge round of applause? So, uh, so good to see you guys. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so the last, uh, the, the, every summer, uh, we're almost like a teacher or something where we take uh, July. So we don't leave a bunch during the year. Uh, we just kind of put everything together in July and we take a, a, a sabbatical in July every year. And thank you to the, to the elders who have really pushed us to do that and help push back on excuses we have of why it can't happen this year and all that kind of stuff to the staff that held things down, especially Job and Kathy who really ran point on everything, to all our guest speakers, Em, I saw you uh, here, Raphael, Kathy. I mean, it's just so good. I, I listen to the podcast every single week, uh, some messages multiple times because I needed to hear it. So, man, thank you. But I'm so glad to be back. One of the things we got to do while we were on sabbatical is um, there's, uh, there's four or five churches that I oversee uh, as like a board member overseer of these churches and I have just haven't got a chance to visit them so a lot of times in July I'll go visit them and what's inter- what's so like so fun for me uh, at, for these churches is not just some random church some of these were like my um, friends that we became believers at the same time in high school uh, some of these are like they're my small group kids when they were in high school or college and now they're pastoring their own churches and it's just you know as a parent as a leader there's nothing more satisfying than seeing someone that you really believe in live out their calling you know and it's like it's not threatening when they're better than you you hope they're better than you you know and these guys and gals are better than me so it's just great to spend time uh, with them and so if you guys know uh uh, Jeff in Cincinnati, or Johnny in Orlando, or Craig and Jordan over in um, Kansas City, they say, they say hi. So anyways, uh, today we're starting a new series called The Way. Uh, this is The Way. This is The Way. Some of you guys that have seen the TV show Mandalorian, how many of you guys ever watched that show? How many of you guys could like care less? Uh, couldn't care less about the Mandalorian. All Star Wars things are weird. See, in, in this room, this is what I love about the church. There's some people in the room that are like all about Star Wars. Like you, you have the costume, right? I mean, you have, you know, you know who you are and your friends know who you are too. Uh, and then there's others who are like, that is the dumbest thing. I would never do that. And you have your own things that you nerd out about. But there's a show called The Mandalorian. Uh, there's that, that's the, <laughs> that's the Baby Yoda, also known as Grogu. Uh, but um, some of you guys have seen, they're like, that's what he's from. So these Mandalorians, uh, like Boba Fett, Jenga Fett, they're Mandalorians. They're from this uh, planet called, you guys know? Mandalore. Yeah. I'm probably going to mess up some of this lore and I'm going to get letters of like, that's not exactly what it's like. Anyways, I don't care. Uh, so they're from, uh, uh, we watch the show, we actually love it. They're from a planet called Mandalore and they have a code of ethics that kind of guide what they do. 
right? It's, it's, a lot of times their code is countercultural. And so they'll be on a planet or with a, a civilization community that is not like, Man- there's like no other civilization like the Mandalorians. And so when they have to make a, a uniquely challenging decision that goes against culture or goes against even what the individual wants to do, they say what they need to do, and then what do they say? This is the way. Yeah, so he's like, you sound like a cult in here. This is the way. So yeah, so one of them, the leader or the person making the decision will say, this is the way, and then everyone in the whole group repeats, this is the way, right, like a cult. So, and what, what they're saying is, hey, this is what we've committed to. This is who we are as Mandalorians. If you don't want to commit to this, that's fine. Take the helmet off. You're no longer a Mandalorian. But if you want to be a Mandalorian, hey, this is the way. And just before you start like, oh, that is so weird. Hey, we are the same way in our, like, our homes, right? Like those of you guys that are parents, you know when your kid's like, my friends get to do this. They, get, they, got a, they got their first cell phone when they were four months old. Or they got, you know, they got to do all this stuff. Their parents let them. And every parent knows. We say that it's like we read the same handbook. We're like, well, if you want to go live with them, they're not my kids. What do we say? Under my roof or roof. Under my roof. We, in my house, they're not, I don't care what they do. They're not my kids, right? What are you saying? This is the way. This is the way we do things in my house. Those of you guys that are teachers, educators, professors, right? There's a certain vibe, there's a certain culture of your classroom, right? Who, well, my other teacher, my other school, I don't care. In my classroom, this is the way. This is the way we do things. This is the way you conduct yourself. This is how you turn in assignments. This is how you talk to one another. This is the way. And you want your, t- your students to look back at you and say, this is the way, right? Those of you guys that are leaders, managers, business owners, who, who, who cares what that other business does, your last job, your, your last boss, or even this, a different department in the same organization, who cares what, did you get to hear what this department got to do? doesn't matter. In my department, this is the way. This is what we do. And what you're saying is, what you're saying is, this is our culture. This is our culture. So we're going to do over this next series is we're going to unpack what it means to be part of this way, what it means to be part of the Jesus way. And why this is really important is because so many times right now, we can look at the behavior of Christians and we go, man, that is a far cry from the behavior of the way of Jesus, right? And some of you guys that are nodding your hands and some of you guys are saying amen, hey, before you point the finger out there, before you're like, oh yeah, my neighbor, or that person that was on TV, or that person that's in the news, before you point the finger out there, this whole series is not about showing outrage to those out there. The whole point of this series is to point the finger in here. So hey, before we look out there, let's look in here first. The reality is people look at the behavior of Christians and think, why would I want to be a part of that? Right? I'm sure you have too. I've been in real awkward positions over the past few years, well, my whole life, but this past few years, where I've had to look at the behavior of Christians, specifically on like pop culture or on news or around politics or pick your poison, right? And, and go, look, we are part of the same family, but we're not really the same, right? It's really awkward. And so what we've explained in a voice a lot of times is, hey, we're all part of the same family, but we got some weird cousins, right? So there's a whole lot of stuff going on constantly, the behavior of Christians in pop culture, where we can look at and go, why would I want to be a part of that? And there's, at the same time, there's this mass exodus of people who grew up in the church, leaving the church, but they've come to this position where they're going, I don't want to be a part of that. They haven't turned their backs on Jesus. They've turned their backs on, the, on, the, on being associated with the church, right? And so the thing is they're 
right. They're right. And their outrage is coming from a good place. Because as much as they don't want to be a part of that, we're not supposed to be a part of that either. There's so much in the behavior of Christians in pop culture that it is not the way. It is not the way of Jesus that we're going to unpack today a little bit and over the next upcoming weeks. When we live the way of Jesus, truly live the way of Jesus, not live the way of church, not live the way of Western Christianity, not live the way of if you're, if you're a Christian, you vote this way and believe this about this topic. No, 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 not the party line, not towing the party line. But when you really live the way of Jesus, it's magnetic. It's compelling. It's countercultural. It's impossible to ignore. And that's what we're called to live. So when Jesus first invited his followers, before he asked them to believe a certain thing, he asked them to what? Follow. Follow. What Jesus was doing when he invited disciples to, to follow him, he was inviting them into a way of living. And in order for us to recapture what it means to follow Jesus, we need to, do, we need to learn a way of living despite what you naturally want to do. That this whole idea of just follow your heart, sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes your heart wants to be fearful and you need to be brave. Sometimes your heart wants to be selfish and you need to be generous. Sometimes your heart wants to hold a grudge and you need to forgive, right? Your heart will rarely ever want to love your neighbor, pray for them, turn the other cheek, right? So, in order to recapture what it means to follow Jesus, we need to follow him despite what you naturally want to do. We want to, re, we want to recapture what it means to follow Jesus despite what the culture of your family says to do. Look, I am so proud that I'm half Japanese, half Korean. We have the best food ever, right? Separately, combined, like it's the best food ever, right? But there's a whole lot of things about growing up in an Asian-American home that was toxic, that was unhealthy, right? Some of you guys are like, yes, right? Yeah. Was. Does that mean I throw the baby out of the bathwater? No, there's so many beautiful things. I wouldn't change anything about that, but there's so many things that are unbiblical. So I need to spit out the bones, right? There's so many things I love about being American. There's no other place in the world I would rather live, but there's a lot of things about American culture that are not biblical. They're patriotic, they're not biblical. Kind of side note, if your faith in what you believe about politics doesn't work outside of being an American, it's not Christian. It's nationalism. Right? Nothing wrong with loving your country. You should love your country. But we got to recognize that the flag we wave the highest is the Christian flag, not the American flag. Does that make sense? So, we have to recapture what it means to follow Jesus despite the culture of your family, despite the culture at large, despite even the sub-ghetto culture of Christian American culture that can so easily be stirred into a frenzy, into acting a certain way that looks nothing like Jesus. So we're going to unpack what does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus? Because you can be a Christian and not follow in the way of Jesus. You can believe that Jesus died for your sins. You can be baptized. You can go to church. And all those things are amazing. And if you haven't done, you're going to church. But if you, maybe you're watching this online or the podcast and you haven't gone to church yet. If you haven't gone to church, you haven't gotten baptized, you should do all those things. Those are good things. But you can do all those things and then still not follow in the way of Jesus. What's interesting is the first century church, uh, the first century believers, do you know that they didn't call themselves Christians? They didn't call themselves Christians. Actually, the term Christian was a political term. It was, there was this group of people, Christ followers, now we would call them Christians, early believers, that they started to grow in numbers to such a degree that they had to create a name for them. 
So there's three times we see the word Christian in Scripture, and it's always derogatory. It's never used by actual followers of Jesus. Now it is, but it wasn't back then. It was actually more of a political term, a derogatory term of individuals that are following the political party of Jesus, the way of Jesus. What they called themselves was followers of the way. Followers of the way. There's actually a part in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 24, where Paul is kind of in court. No, he's, he's, he is in court. Uh, he is before the governor Felix, uh, and he's brought in by the high priest uh, Ananias. I can't remember who the lawyer's name is. Read the Bible. It's in there, uh, Acts 24, uh, if you really want to know who the lawyer's name is. Um, what is it? Tertullius? Leonardo, and one of those guys, one of the turtles. So, uh, <laughs> so their lawyer brought... Uh, uh, Paul, <laughs> Jesus, Paul, before the governor Felix and Ananias the high priest was, was the one who brought it. And they are accusing him of all these things. And here's how Paul responds when he finally gets to his turn uh, to defend himself. 13, he says, these men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. He's like, it's all bull. It's not going to hold water. But then he says, but I admit that I follow the way. I will admit to one thing. I follow the way. Capital which again, it's a, a proper noun, which they call a cult. So they're saying, look, yeah, that thing, that cult, that sect that you guys call uh, the way that you call us Christians, yeah, I'm, I will admit to that. I will admit to that. The Greek word for the way is actually this whole idea of a whole way of life. A whole way of life. For early believers, following Jesus wasn't about just getting into heaven. It wasn't just about being a good person. It was a complete way of life. It impacted every decision that they made, every nook and cranny of their lives. Today, what we've done, me included, is we've reduced following Jesus into a personal belief statement instead of a personal life mission statement. We've reduced following Jesus into a personal belief statement. Do you believe X, Y, Z? Then you're good, right? We consume Christian content, we listen to podcasts, we go to a church a few times a month, right? But we don't make it our goal to continually become a better follower of the way. The goal of every follower of Jesus, the primary goal of every follower of Jesus is to become a better follower of Jesus. Here's a key idea for today. You can be convinced of something, but not be committed to it. You can be convinced of something, but not be committed to it. And we know this to be true. Y'all know salad is good for you. Come on, man. You're about to make a lunch decision right after this. You, it's not like you don't realize, wait, pizza? That's bad for you? Right? You know that salad is good for you. You are convinced of that. Doesn't mean you're committed to it. Right? Salad is good. Pizza's gooder. Okay? You, just, you know that. You can be convinced that budgeting is good. We all know. We give mental assent. Yes. I agree, budgeting is good, but then you go to Target without a list, right? Husbands are amening, yes. You go to Costco, husbands, you go to Home Depot without a list, right? You're like, babe, it was on sale. I needed another drill. You know, it's like you go without, why? Because you give, you're, you're, you are convinced that it. it doesn't mean you're committed to it. You can be absolutely convinced of something without letting it affect you or your actions at all. And we live in this tension constantly. We believe, we are convinced that we believe in the idea of Jesus. 
but we can fail to be committed to the way of Jesus in nearly every area of our lives. Isn't that just fascinating to you? You can be convinced of the ideas of Jesus, but then be completely uncommitted in nearly every area of our lives outside of 90 minutes on a Sunday. Isn't that wild? It bothers me about me, not about you. It bothers, it bothers me about me. And this whole idea would be a completely foreign concept to the first century believer. Remember, when we talk about Jesus, how he recruited disciples, he didn't say, you want to be my disciple? Well, then believe these things. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you want to be my disciple? Then attend these classes. Sign this document. What did he say? You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And what would happen is over and over and over again, the stories we're told is they would drop everything, like literally just leave their job, leave their desk, leave their friends and family. There was no guarantees. There was no offer letter. There was no 401k proposal. There was no upward mobility. There was no, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's the plan. Here's your schedule. Here's, your, here's, your, how, here's how your, your time off works. It was just follow me. What are we going to do? Follow me. Where are we going to go? Follow me. Right? And to understand why that was a, a common thing for them, it is ludicrous for us in, in 21st century uh, USA, right? But the reason why it was so common for this to happen in the early century was because of how the Jewish educational system was set up. So we're going to breeze through this, because, but, but it's really helpful for you guys to understand what actually was going on. This is why it's so, so important to understand context. Within the Jewish educational system in the first century, there were three tiers, Three tiers. The first tier was Bet-Sefer. Bet-Sefer, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It's translated house of the book. House of the book. Ages six to ten years old. So they would have class, like normal arithmetic and that kind of thing, but they would have class five days a week, and then by the time they were ten years old, they would memorize the Torah. What we call the first five books of our Old Testament, what they would see as their scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorized. Memorized. Not just studied and go, I know these cherry-picked verses. I got it on my coffee mug, got it on a t-shirt. They would memorize by 10 years old. My kids were watching Baby Einstein. I don't know what, like, what your kids were doing. They, were, they memorized, right? You didn't want to sleep over at their house on a Friday because we're memorizing stuff. That was the extent of their schooling for many of these students. So they would, for, they would go to Bet Suffer, ages 6 to 10, have it memorized. Good, you're done. You graduate, go home right? So these students, all of them went through this, and then they all go home, and then they take up their family trade. Fishing, carpentry, masonry, whatever their family did, they would take up the family uh, business. It was, there wasn't a conversation of, what are you passionate about? Is No, at what age do you want to take over your dad's job? Like, that was the conversation. So that was Bet Sefer. Out of Bet Sefer, a few select individuals would be handpicked to move to the next stage in training, and this is Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud is translated house of learning, house of learning. This age is 10 to 14 years old. This is where they raise the ante even higher. The students uh, that showed promise would be invited into this stage. And by the time they turned 14, not only would they have already memorized math, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but they'd memorize all the Old Testament up through Malachi. Can you, you don't even know, many of us don't even know all the books. You couldn't name the books of the Old Testament. They memorized them, memorized them. 14 years old. It's because they weren't on social media. Just kidding. They didn't have video games to rot their brains. So they were so they were memorizing all this stuff. They were 14 years old. 
The other thing that they would learn in, in, in Bet Talmud is they would learn the art of answering questions with a question. Right? It's kind of disrespectful for us sometimes when we look at the scriptures of the Western mind. Can you imagine if your, your boss going, you know, you know, did you do this assignment right? And you answer with, I don't know, did I? <laughs> be like, do you want to go home right now? <laughs> it's like, right? It's kind of disrespectful for us. But in the, in the first century, in the Jewish way of thinking, it was an art form. It was taught in Bet Talmud where you'd learn to answer questions with a question. This is why Jesus is never, ever, not once, like, offended when someone asks him a question. He's never offended when someone asks him a question in response to his question. This actually showed that they understand the concepts because it means that they went through Bet Talmud. So everyone go through Bet Sefer. Portion of them would graduate to Bet Talmud. And then the vast majority of them would then now go home. From Bet Talmud, a very few number of, of students would be invited to the next stage, Bet Midrash. This is 15 and up, ages 15 and up. It's known as the house of study. So the rabbis would come to the um, Bet Talmud schools and they would just like drill some of these students and ask them questions and push on them and make them and bother them and try to get them off their game. And if the, if the rabbi saw someone that really was exceptional, this is the best of the best of the best, then the rabbi would say, come follow me. And that gave the student kind of an exit plan from their family business. And the plan now is to become like my rabbi. They would call this discipleship. The art of discipleship. They would call this, you are my disciple. They would, the Mandalorian would say, or the Jedi would say, Padawan. Right? So like this, this is that whole idea. See, we use the word uh, student or disciple. But disciple is one of those words in, like, in the church where it means everything and nothing. You know what I mean? So we use the word student or disciple many times. I think a more appropriate word for us to understand this in Western culture is apprenticeship or apprentice. Let me explain. When I was uh, in ministry school, uh, I would sit through what I felt like was endless. It was probably like a few hours a day, but it felt like endless uh, classes about like New Testament survey and breaking down the original languages and history and polity and how to run a board meeting and Robert's Rules of Orders and blah, blah. You know, it's, I mean, really important stuff. Uh, and uh, that was riveting. Uh, but it was what I did as a student. But then I remember I got to spend a couple weeks with my senior pastor, uh, Pastor Mayo. Uh, he was probably in his uh, early 70s at that point. And I got to spend two weeks, like literally, when he got to the office, I got to the office. When he got done for the day, I got done for the day. I had just studied all this stuff. I knew stuff, right? But I would shadow him. I'd go to his lunch appointments. I would go to his hospital visitations. And he went to a lot of hospital visitations, way more than I would ever want to go to. He went, he would do sermon prep. He would just say, Taka, bring reading material. Bring stuff that you could work on. I didn't have a, like a smartphone. Like I had, I think I might have had a Nokia at that point. Maybe I got really good at Snake. But those of you guys remember that. But I would just sit there as his apprentice for weeks. I would go to uh, prayer times. If he was just going to go pray, he's like, Taka, join me. We're going to go in the sanctuary and pray. When he would meet with families who had lost a loved one, which that happens all the time, I would just sit there with him and watch the master do his thing. There were times where there, he would um, even take me to meetings with angry church members. We've never had them here, but other churches have them. Uh, and they, it's like the sermon's too long, the sermon's too short, the, it's like worship's too loud, it's too quiet. Like people are just looking for something to be mad at. And so he would just sit with these individuals over and over, and I would just sit with them. That way, as an apprentice, 
That was a fundamentally different experience than a student. See, a student's goal is to learn what the teacher knows, right? A apprentice's goal is to be what the teacher is. See a difference? A student wants to know what the teacher knows. An apprentice, a disciple, wants to be what the teacher is. And this was the ultimate goal of a disciple in the first century, was to be like their rabbi. There was this kind of a, uh, a myth, but everyone kind of knew it, of even if your rabbi walks with a limp, you start walking with a limp. Like you need to imitate your rabbi to that extent, right? And there was a common blessing that would say, you know, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Maybe, you guys maybe heard like, people like Ray Vandalin or Rob Bell teach on that. Maybe covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the whole idea is obviously the roads were unpaved, except like around central cities like Rome or Jerusalem. But also the majority of the cities, they were unpaved, right? And so would you be so close? Would you not like you have your rabbi going, it's nine o'clock, where the heck are they? But you're there, you're with them, you're behind them. They never have to wonder if you're there because you're so close to them all the time. They may be so close to your rabbi that as he's walking, that as they kick the dust up off the ground, off their sandals, right, that you're covered in that dust. That's how close. Maybe covered in the dust of your rabbi because you follow them so closely. And this is the context that when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, come follow me. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's inviting you and I into. And 2,000 years may have passed, but the invitation is still the same. If you're a follower of Jesus, stay so close to him that your primary goal in life is to become more like him. That becoming more like Jesus is more important than promotions in your career trajectory. Becoming more like Jesus is more important than material things. Becoming more like Jesus is more important than your hobbies. Now listen, we're not trying to make you boring automatons, okay? You should have career advancement. You should have material things as long as they don't own you and you're unfaithful to to God to get them. You should have hobbies. You should be interesting, right? And, but when those become more important, a lot of us will sacrifice a lot for our careers. We'll sacrifice a lot for material things. We'll sacrifice a lot for hobbies, way more than we ever would for Jesus. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, he passed away a few years ago, but he says this. He says, many people think of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who will get us into heaven. So the question often is, uh, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? We've all heard that. But we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And that's the real question. With the disciples, it began there. They began by accepting him as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, eternal destiny, but a natural outflow of that. But they started, it's the key line, but they started with Jesus as their teacher because we all have to learn how to live. It started with Jesus as their teacher because we all need to learn how to live. How to live, there it is, the way, the way of life. Not we all need to learn how to attend services. We all need to learn how to set up signs for the church. We all, no, we all need to learn how to live. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls the disciples to follow him. And you know what happens after Matthew chapter 4? You know what comes next? 
Matthew chapter 5. Right, so Matthew chapter 5 comes out, then 6 and 7 and so on. Anyways, it's not a trick question. In Matthew chapter 4, he, he, he recruits the disciples. Matthew chapter 5, the first thing he does is he gets everyone together, including a bunch of other, other, other people, and he gives what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Right? And he starts off with the Beatitudes. What he, what he does is he starts saying, hey, here's who we are, guys. This is the tone of our lives. We will be peacemakers. Not peace destroyers, not drama queens. We will be peacemakers, not even peacekeepers. We will go into situations where there is not peace and do everything we can to create peace. We'll be peacemakers. We'll be merciful. Mercy means they didn't deserve it, just like you don't. Merciful. We're going to be pure in heart. doesn't matter what they did. Are you pure in heart? Then he starts saying things like, you've heard it said before, but now I say. You've heard it taught before, but now I say. In other words, he's saying, you've been taught. Your parents have told you. Your culture has told you. Your other rabbis, other teachers, your friends, they've all told you this, but now I say. He's saying, look, this is who we are. We need to live differently. I know you've been taught certain things. I know that culture has taught you certain things, but this is the way. He would say things like, you've heard it said before. If you, uh, if you, you know, don't commit murder, which I think we'd all agree with, don't do that, right? Stop murdering, right? So we'd all agree with that. But then he goes, but I say, and if you even have anger against someone in your heart, right? Some of us are like, I never murdered, but there are probably dark moments you're going, I wouldn't be super sad if something happened to them. Kind of the same thing. So Jesus would say, hey, you say don't commit adultery. And you've, I've never cheated on my spouse. But if you've lusted against somebody, same thing, right? So Jesus is saying you've been taught, but hey, there's a different way. He talks about divorce. He talks about retaliation. He talks about keeping your word. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about uh, not letting money be your master and not storing up treasures on earth where moths destroy. He talks about not judging other people, right? He says, work on the plank on your own eye, in your own eye instead of speck in another. And what he's saying over and over again is, hey guys, this is who we are. And Voice Church, what I'm telling you is this is who we are. I want to challenge you on Double Dog Dairy this week to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is who we are. This is the way of Jesus. This is what you're a part of. So if you're here and you're looking for cool church, you're at the wrong church. If you're looking for a hype church, you're at the wrong church. If you're looking for a bunch of imperfect people who are trying our best, a lot of times poorly, to follow Jesus, that a lot of us, if we're honest, we're, we're not great at following Jesus. We're going from terrible to pretty bad, and it's progress. You know what I mean? But if we want to really make it our goal to, to be a better and better follower of Jesus, this is what we're trying to do. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, quit worrying about what they're doing. That's what I'm talking about before. It's like, well, all those people are being bad Christians. Quit worrying about what they're doing. What are you doing? Quit throwing stones at everyone. We've talked about this before, but this is so important for us. Jesus doesn't say, throw stones at everyone in culture that doesn't follow me. Quit boycotting. Quit telling all these companies and organizations and businesses that they're not following Jesus because they never pretended to. But you do. So do you. Right? If you follow Jesus, then follow the way of Jesus. So here's what Jesus does. 
Matthew chapter 4 calls the disciples. 5 and 6, he talked about all these different things, Beatitudes. You've heard it said, I said. And then he goes into Matthew chapter 7, and he closes Matthew chapter 7 with this idea. He says, uh, in verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but the small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You can keep it up there. The, the word for the road is the same word that they use for the way. He's not talking about pavement and how to build city infrastructure, right? He's talking about this is a way of life. He's saying, I'm asking you to take the road less traveled. It's narrow, easy to miss. Most people don't take it. You have to be really intentional about staying on it. The path to destruction is easy, wide. Just follow the herd. It's almost like if you're at Disneyland, past like fireworks, right? And you're like, you want to know how to get to the exit? Just follow the herd. Okay, just follow people bumping you. You will get to the, you'll end up outside the park. Okay, this is just what happens. This is the way culture is. You want to follow the road that's wide? Easy. Pick up your feet, go with the currents of culture, and you will get to where Jesus is saying you shouldn't go. It's doing whatever you feel like. It's doing what feels good in the moment. But ultimately, Jesus says it ends in destruction. It ends in ruin. It ends in regret. It ends in isolation. Right? It's like a piece of cake, man. It's like moment on the lips forever on the hips, right? It's like, it's, it's, it feels good in the moment. But Jesus says, hey, there's another way. There's another way. There's a way that leads to life that's narrow. Few find it. Be one of the few. It's eternal life, but it's more than eternal life. It's a road marked with love. It's a road marked with peace and joy. It's a road marked with true community, purpose and meaning. I think a lot of us that are just pursuing stuff, we're really pursuing is meaning, and it's never going to be found at a mall. It's never going to be found on Amazon, right? Purpose and meaning are much bigger ideas than that. And Jesus is saying this narrow road is where you find purpose and where you find meaning. This marked with hope. It's marked with restoration of relationships. See, you don't get fullness of life in Jesus by just believing in things, but by following him. And if you've been part of church for any amount of time and you're going, talk, it just feels so empty. I feel like I'm going just through the motions. It could be, it's just you're, you're just going through the motions. Maybe you're just attending church and it's time to follow Jesus. Right? And so then Jesus ends this whole idea with two pictures. One, he, say, he talks about this two trees. One bears fruit and another doesn't. And then he ends with this picture of two builders. One builds his house on a, a firm foundation, and one doesn't. Let me explain, let's read what Jesus, is, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7. It's therefore, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Same situation. The rain came, streams rose, wind blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So he talks about two builders, right? The foolish builder just hears. Student goes to small group, prays about a lot of things, doesn't do anything, prays about them, listens to the podcast, watches the online stream, on the setup and teardown team. Like he is faithful. He just doesn't actually do anything differently. He never actually changes the way he lives. He thinks that just because I heard it, it's the same thing as doing it. It's not. Knowledge is, is, is not the same thing as wisdom, right? Knowledge says, like, a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom says, don't put it in a fruit salad, 
right? It's like knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge and application are not the same thing. So the foolish person hears it, check, done, heard it, but doesn't change anything about his life, and the Bible calls him a fool. The wise here hears and creates new normals. The wise builder says, you've taught me this? Well, if that's true, then I need to change how I do my time. I got to change how I handle my relations. I got to change how I do my finances. I need to create new habits because I naturally want to do this, but if that's true, then I, I can't stop doing I have to start doing this, right? I need to do my budget different. I need to have different behavior. The wise builder hears changes to conform to a new way. And what happens? Storm comes. Storm wasn't God's judgment. Storm comes for us all, right? The same storm fell on both of these houses. And here's a crazy thing. Before the storm, you couldn't tell the houses apart, right? Just like with so many of our lives. We don't know how you're really doing when times are good, right? And we all these situations where so, someone in our lives, like their life just collapses like that. What we realize is it looked really good on the outside, but it was a house of cards, right? You don't know what you're made of until the storms come. And that reveals the truth. The same thing with COVID. People are talking about COVID broke relationships. No, it didn't. COVID reveals that relationships were broken, right? Troubles reveal the truth. Troubles reveal the truth. Every time you come into a situation where your, your normal is pushed back against, you have an opportunity to see what you're made of. You have the gift of disorientation. It is a gift because it forces things to become new that have become old, right? So if you want your life to bear fruit, if you want to weather the inevitable storms that come for us all, don't take the path that everyone else does. Take the narrow path. Enter the narrow gate. It's going to suck. That's a biblical word. That's Latin. It's going to suck. It will. It's going to be hard. You're going to stick out from your friends. You're going to stick out from your coworkers because God's going to ask you to do things that they don't want to do. And it's not up to you to try to convince them. That's not what God's asked them to do. What's God asked you to do? May you follow Jesus so closely and so consistently that you are covered in his dust. My prayer for you guys, that's why I pray for you guys all the time, is that as your coworkers and neighbors and friends happen upon reading scripture and they read about Jesus, that they would go, I know someone who acts just like that. That they're not going to be drawn to church because of lights and a speaker and music and Instagram. But they're going to be drawn to Jesus because you look like the Jesus of the Bible. And it's compelling and they can't ignore it because you're so different than everyone else that they know. So as we end, here's something I want you to think about. It's the one question. I always want to give you a question that bothers you. And here's the question. What are you convinced of that you're not committed to? Where are you convinced but are not committed? Where are you convinced but you're not committed? Where can, you, where can you not just believe in Jesus but be committed to acting like it, living like it? Maybe. Let me give you a few examples in case you need something to jog your memory, okay? Maybe you're holding a grudge. You're like, talk, if you knew it, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Well, if you knew what they did, don't care. If Jesus can forgive the person executing him, you can do this. Where are you holding a grudge that Jesus says to forgive? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've been looking at stuff online. Come on, man. You know you shouldn't be. You know you shouldn't be. 
and it's poisoning your heart and you feel it, don't you? It's robbing you of joy. It's creating shame. God doesn't want shame for you. Maybe it's time to break the chains of lust that you're building link by link around your own heart. It's time. You've talked about it. It's time to do it. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. Quit reading books about it. Freaking do it. Right? Get the help you need. Get the support you need. Maybe you find yourself lying or breaking promises. I'm just exaggerating. Let your word be your word. Right? If you say you're going to show up somewhere, show up somewhere. You say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not, don't. Let your words matter because you don't represent you, you represent Jesus. Right? Some of us are so, we say yes to things that we have no intention of doing and it's called, what is it? It's lying. It's, it's lying. And Jesus says, may you, may you be a man of your word. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've let your anger grow. Judging all the things wrong with someone else and neglecting the plank in your own eye. Right? You didn't used to be an angry person, but here you are. You're going, what the heck happened? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think that's what God wants for you. It's time to walk the narrow road. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe your finances are all about you. You are the first and the last in your finances, and Jesus isn't. And can I be honest? We talk rarely about finances, but there are things, there are dreams in the hearts of this church, the leaders of this church that we want to do, that we feel like God has called us to do, that we can't. We can't. Because there's individuals who are not obeying what God is asking them to do. And because of that, the mission is stalled. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's saying, man, we all, we all play a part. We all play a part. Look, if Joe didn't come up here and lead worship, I would. And that wouldn't be a win for anybody, right? So everyone has a role to play. And when we all are just faithful to what God has to do, we as a church can make an impact. And lives are changed. Some of us, your finances have no doesn't look like Jesus is a part of them at all. You give him change here and there. But he's not Lord of your finances. Maybe, last thing, I'll let you off the hot seat. Maybe you want retaliation against somebody. Right? And Jesus says, would you just give it to me? Let me handle it. Let me handle it. You worry about you. Let me handle it. So, where are you convinced but are yet to be committed? Now, I want to be clear. If you believe in Jesus Lord, that he died for your sins, I believe you're a Christian. I believe you have eternal security. So this is not about that. The cross is enough. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But believing a certain thing is how you become a Christian. Committing to walk in the way of Jesus is how you be a Christian. You hear the difference? Believing is important. It's, it's where it begins. That's how you become a Christian. Committing to walk in the way of Jesus is how you be a Christian. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a specific topics that define who we are as followers of the way. Jesus' church, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, Jesus' church is called to be patient. It's called to be kind. It's called to be loving. We're called to be a house of prayer. We're called to be people of forgiveness, people of acceptance, people of sacrifice, people of mission, people of community, people of worship. This is what you're a part of. This is what we're called to be. This is the way. This is the way. This is what Jesus is calling us to live. And if you want to be a part of that, then welcome home. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with me in particular and with all of us. We mess this up so many times, and God, we just thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your guidance. 
Holy Spirit, give us the supernatural ability to be what we never could on our own, to represent you well. God, we pray that when people see us, that they would see you. We pray that we don't live in such a way that we keep people from seeing the character of God because all they see is our dysfunction, our anger, our hurt, our pain that we haven't dealt with. So we say, God, for the few moments that we have on this earth, would you use our efforts and our lives to make an eternal difference? We choose to live in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing this.